Well, here we are on Easter. Easter also somehow, I don't know why, but corresponded with April Fool's Day, right? And uh, I don't know if anyone's ever played kind of a, a joke on you that you remember like the rest of your life, but um, I had one played on me. It's pretty memorable. It started several years ago. A bat came into our backyard, landed on our, uh, on our deck, and I scared it away. The next year, though, it had come back. And we were on vacation. Tisa and I got home late at night. Showed up, it was dark, opened the drapes to our sliding glass door that led out to the back deck where that bat was the previous year. And this time, the bat was back. He was stuck. He had clung onto the screen door, the sliding screen door. And he was back, and he was bigger this time. And he looked meaner this time. And I tried to scare him away, but he wouldn't scare away. And it was so revolting to me. You know, bats just are gross. They're like little flying rats. And I know, they're kind of demonic. And so I, I shut the drapes. We went to bed, just hoping in the morning it would be gone. Got up in the morning, went back, very reticent, opened the drapes, and there he is. He's still there. It's daytime. I'm like, what is with this bat? And so I decided, you know, I, I can't, I don't know what to do. And so I looked it up on Google, and here's what Google told me to do. Uh, make noise. So I got some pots and pans out of the, and I went up, I went up to the bat right in front of him, and I just started hitting the pots and pans together. Didn't move. So I went and got my stereo, and I blasted like a bat out of hell. <laughs> True story. Just... Cranked it up on 10. Didn't leave. Shut the drapes again. We're just, we don't, I, I don't know. We, we're thinking, let's sell the house. We're just, <laughs> can't live like this, you know? So I decided, let's call, uh, see if maybe there's an exterminator. And so I called around Spokane. Bad exterminators are pretty hard to come by. Found one in Coeur d'Alene, though. And the guy said, well, send me a picture. And so I sent him a picture of the bat. And he's like, yep. That's a big bat. Uh, I'll come and I'll do that for $300. And I'm like, 300 bucks? Okay. It's that or sell the house. So come. Come quickly. It's an emergency. He said, well, I'll be a couple hours. So in the meantime, I decided I'll just ask my son Nathan over, let him take a photo of it. So at least we have a little memorial of it before he's exterminated. And so Nathan comes in, he walks up, and, and I say, it's behind the drapes. You know, he opens up the drapes. And he puts his face up to the bat. And then he goes outside and he grabs the bat by the back. And he pulls it and he brings it in the house. <laughs> and he says, Dad, you've been punked. This isn't even a real bat. <laughs> this is a joke on you. Now, I know, we used to have some friends by the name of Mike and Lou Jensen. And we've been thinking about how, for the last several years, we're going to get back at them. What a bad joke, though, right? Now, here's the good news. The good news about this particular April Fool's Day is the joke is not on you. The joke is on the devil. 
He thought the crucifixion would keep Jesus in the grave. It would thwart God's redemptive plan. He thought that sin and death would rule and remain. And yet, because of Jesus rising from the dead, the joke is on the devil. See, Jesus changes everything. Everything. The resurrection means everything. It validated Jesus' identity. There have been many people along the way that have said that they were God, but Jesus was the one who came and allowed people to crucify him, put him in a grave for three days, and then he rose again, telling us that death is not the end of the story. Jesus gave us a model in his death, his burial, and his resurrection of how we can go through difficulties in our life, how we can deal with those setbacks, those, those tragedies, and those things that we're all going to deal with. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Here's what it says. God has called you to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. He also left you an example so that you could follow in his footsteps. Christ leaves us an example. Christ is the example. So let's look this Easter at his, at his uh, death and burial and resurrection. You'll remember Friday, right? Friday was the day that Christ was betrayed and crucified. It was the day of pain and loss. Saturday, the day of shattered dreams, wondering, the disciples wondering, what do we do now? And then Sunday was the day of resurrection, a day of joy and new life. And here's the, the thing. All of us go through those stages, don't we? We all go through those kinds of days in our life. Some of you right now this morning are in the, the day of pain and loss. Others are in that day of confusion, that day of doubt. And hopefully we'll get to that day of joy and new life, right? But we all go through those things. And when we're in that, we're wondering, how do I, what do I do to get through pain? What, what do I do to get through it? How do I experience loss? How do I go through my days of doubt and confusion? And how do I get to those days of joy and new life? Tisa and I recently... Um, sent wave goodbye to half of our family, moved from Spokane to Phoenix, where they're living now. New job, new place. And uh, it was hard. It was difficult. We were there when our two grandkids were born at Sacred Heart, you know, held them in their first few moments of life. We helped, uh, we were around and were participating in them growing up. And then the grandkids move away, kids move away. And that's been a difficult loss. And uh, it's one that uh, kind of hits home. We know we'll see them. We can fly down there. They're not dead. They're not, you know, off on another continent. So I, I get it. It's not that big of a deal. And many of you have experienced that. But that was new for us. And so we've had to kind of go through that day of pain, that day of loss, into a place of kind of, what are you doing, God? And now kind of coming into a, a new place, right? A new place of, of, well, I know there's some joy here. We're going to experience that. But it doesn't matter whether it's a small thing or kind of something medium or some tragedy that we go through these things. And so let's learn from Jesus as our example. First of all, when you think about Jesus in that day of pain that he experienced, he experienced a pain few of us will ever know. I mean, Jesus experienced not only a beating, he was whipped, he was wounded, he was spit on, he was slapped and mocked and laughed at, his beard was pulled out, there was a crown of thorns that was pressed down into his skull, 
And then the most brutal of the acts was the scourging, because the scourging isn't just a whipping. It's, it's where they take a cat of nine tails, and at the end of each one of these nine whips, there's uh, bone and pieces of glass and rock. And as the soldiers would whip his back, every whip was like nine times the amount of pain as it would shred the, the flesh off of the back. And they would typically scourge you long enough to where you were half to three quarters dead, bleeding, so that when you went to the cross, which was the most painful, brutal death, um, you were already almost dead. And of course, the cross was very painful. It was, uh, it was death by suffocation, because as you hung there, you would struggle for each breath, and therefore the soldiers would often come and break the, le the legs of those being crucified so they could no longer push up and get a breath, and they would die a slow and painful death. Jesus experienced pain. He understands physical pain, but he also understands emotional pain. I mean, psychological pain, because the death, the death on a cross was a pain of humiliation. You would be stripped, buck naked, and then you would be paraded through the streets of a whole city, laughing, mocking you, jeering at you, spitting on you. It was degradating. It was a death of shame. And he went through that pain of rejection, and some of you know that pain, what it feels like to be abandoned, to be rejected, to be mocked. And then there was another level of pain Jesus experienced, which was spiritual pain. I mean, a pain that few of us would ever even remotely be able to understand. I mean, you know the pain of just experiencing uh, making a huge mistake or being really selfish, uh, committing a sin that hurt other people and the guilt that that put on your life. Can you imagine Jesus, all of the sin of all of humanity placed on him, that every rape, Every murder, every child molestation, the Holocaust, every genocide, all of evil of mankind placed on Jesus at the cross. The guilt of that, the weight of that, experiencing that pain of spiritual separation to where he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He carried that on the cross. So see, Jesus understands pain, suffering. He understands your pain and your suffering. And that's the most amazing thing about God. He came and he endured that so that all of us would be able to take our suffering and our pain to him. In, in the Bible, in Hebrews 4, it says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality, meaning Jesus. He's been through weakness and testing experienced it all but without the sin so let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give take the mercy accept the help see because jesus experienced that suffering and that pain he's able to help us he wants to help you he knows the pathway to god's power so what do you do in those days of pain what do you do what did jesus do let's let's look at him as the example well, first of all, he reached out to friends. I mean, he's God, right? But he reached out to friends. In the last day 
On planet Earth, what we see Jesus doing is inviting his friends to a meal, to a dinner. The, the night that he would be arrested, tortured, executed, he brings his closest friends together and he says, I don't, I don't need a speech or a sermon. I just need you to be with me. Notice in Matthew 26, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. These are his closest uh, friends. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knew what was coming. And he said, stay here and keep watch with me. Isn't that amazing when you look at Jesus that he opened up his heart and his life, his weakness? He opened up his concerns and he shared those with his friends? And what do we do? What we often do, I mean, most people, they, we isolate when we're in pain. We pull away from people, pull away from church, pull away from small group, pull away from whatever, pull away from friends. And when you go through that moral failure or through that time of humiliation or that time of weakness or suffering, we often pull away and isolate. And that's the very time where we need people the most. The Bible tells us to confess our faults to one another that we might be healed. And I just wonder if the addiction that you're suffering or, or that you're dealing with and that you're, you're in bondage to or, or that toxic relationship that you know you need help with or any other number of various things going on in your soul, in your heart, those hidden things of the heart, those things that only you know, if, if maybe just the healing is a step away from just being humble and asking someone's help, inviting someone into your struggle, into your pain, being humble, being honest. I know for me, I didn't start to really grow in my relationship with God. I didn't get healed from the addictions that were holding me back uh, until I got real with people, until I invited others into my world, into my life, into my struggle. I encourage you to do that. And as a church, we want to help you with that. If if you want that in your life, I, I encourage you, before you leave today, sign up for the rooted thing that I talked about, the 10-week journey where you meet with others, you get real, you get in relationship. Let this Easter be a day of change and new direction for you, where you stop being an island and start building some bridges. So we see Jesus doing that, but we also see Jesus doing something else really important. He reached out to God. See, friends, as good as they are and we need them, they're flesh and blood, right? They get tired. Matter of fact, the disciples fell asleep on Jesus. God never sleeps and God never slumbers, and he's always there for you. And so we reach out to friends, but we've got to reach out to people or to God, too. Reaching out to God, what does that look like? It means praying, getting honest, getting real with God. Mark's gospel tells us Jesus fell to the ground, this is in the garden, and prayed. If possible, he would not have the this time of suffering. And he prayed, Abba, Father. Abba means daddy, papa. It's an endearing term of a child to a loving father. And in those times of struggle, in those times of need, you don't have to go to God with your life all put together. You don't have to figure out the perfect way to pray. You don't have to even know the Bible. You just go to God and you say, Papa, help me. Help me. 
and you reach out to God in prayer and you say, not my will, but your will be done. In a little bit, we'll have that opportunity to pray and some are here today and this is a new day for you, a day to pray, a day to invite Jesus Christ into your life, a day to say, not my will anymore, God, but your will, let it be done. Now, as Jesus finished praying, soldiers came and arrested him. They took him through six phony trials, three Roman trials, three Jewish trials, all of them held at night, therefore all illegal. They were shams. Uh, and, and then they tortured him, and they nailed him to a cross. And then it brings us to Saturday, that day of confusion, a day of doubt. Imagine how the disciples must have felt that the Son of God, the Messiah, was crucified by the Romans, put in a tomb, and now was dead. And they're wondering what happened. What happened? I mean, this was God. He could have come down off of that cross. I mean, we saw him heal people. We saw him raise the dead. We saw him walk on water. We saw him stop storms and control the weather. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was love. God's love is what kept him there. Jesus said that no man takes my life, I willfully give it, and I can take it up again. Nobody was in control of Jesus. He willfully, obediently, humbly went to the cross, and because of his love for you and me, he allowed men to put him to death. Can you imagine the confusion that that brought about in the lives of the disciples. I mean, man, we should have stopped Judas. On the night that we were eating, we could have just ganged up on him, put some duct tape around his mouth, and just stopped him. It's easy to blame yourself, isn't it? Blame others, and if we're not careful, we end up just blaming God, too, and just thinking, God, you could have stopped this. Have you ever run away from God out of your pain, out of disillusionment, out of doubt? We know what that feels like, right? That place of confusion where you get married, you think, man, it's life going to be happy ever after, and then that person leaves you and says, I don't love you anymore. And then you're wondering, man, now what? Or you accept that new job with so much hope, so much excitement, you start that new business, you feel like maybe God even led you into, and then it goes bankrupt or you get fired. I mean, there are all kinds of things that lead to the day of confusion, a day of doubt. And yet the Bible tells us what we can do in those days. How do I get through those days of confusion? Well, we hold on to the promises of God. Never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. Remember, God is in control. God has a plan. He has a game plan. He did with Jesus. He does with you. Your story is not fully written yet. God is still writing. In John's gospel, Jesus said this in a little while. He's telling his disciples this. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. And he's telling them that on the night that he'd be arrested. He said, but a little while after that, you will see me again. He's predicting the resurrection to come. He's saying, God has a plan. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. And then he says, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. 
It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor when her child is born. In other words, when you see the good things that I'm going to bring out of this bad thing, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. He said, I'm coming back, and there's going to be joy. A joy that this world can't give you. See, the world that the, uh, or the joy that the world offers is based on circumstances. If things are going good, then I feel good. But the joy that God wants to put into your heart, into your life, is a joy that is not dependent on what happens to you. It's dependent on what happens in you because of what Jesus offers you. His very presence, the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And we can't see it when we're hurting. We can't often see it when we're doubting and when we're confused. But God is in control. He has a plan. Maybe you've gone through something of a train wreck in your own personal life recently. Maybe at work or in your marriage or an addiction or your health. And it's just a train wreck. You, you look back and you go, man, I put all this time and all this effort and all this wasted time, and now what? What do I have to show for it? And it's in those days of doubt and confusion that you want to hold on to the promises of God. Isaiah 61 is one of those promises. He says, I want to give to those who mourn in Zion joy and gladness instead of grief, a song of praise instead of sorrow. And that's a promise you can hold on to. Here's another one in Isaiah 43. God said, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God and your Savior. So you need a Savior. The only way you're going to get through the days of pain and through those days of confusion and doubt to a place of joy and new life is through a Savior, Jesus Christ. And that leads us, of course, to that third day, Sunday. Sunday morning, a couple of women go to the tomb. They're going to mourn at the tomb and the dawn is there and the sun is coming up and Jesus shows up resurrected. He shows himself first to these women and then to his disciples and then over the course of the next 40 days he's walking around and he's talking with various people. At one point over 500 people saw him and talked to him. When the disciples saw that Jesus was resurrected and alive, they weren't afraid anymore. They weren't cowering anymore because they knew you can kill my body, but I will rise again just like Jesus, my Lord. We're not worried anymore. These 11 guys start spreading the good news throughout the region, and then it extends into the whole Roman Empire. And these 11 guys, 300 years, uh, or these 11 guys, they're the ones who started it. 300 years later, we see Christianity of spreading throughout Rome and the whole empire, and Caesar himself becomes a Christian. Why? Because they're no, no longer afraid. They're boldly declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, and their joy was contagious. So how do you get to those days where there's joy, where there's new life? Well, the first thing to know is that it's not just a good attitude. It's not going to be just because you will it to be so. 
or just because you, you start to you know, think a little bit differently, you need something you don't have. And that's the power of Jesus Christ. To get to the place of joy and new life means we start to rely on the power of God, the power of Jesus. No longer just on our own cunning, our own creativity, our own hard work, our own attitudes. Our own, it means that we need something from the outside in. Jesus, his power, the power of his resurrection. Jesus said it like this in John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live again. I give them eternal life for believing in me, and they will never perish. Don't you love that? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Death is not the end of the story. God is not done writing your story. He said, I don't just teach about it. I'm, it's not just principles that you can live by. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just a principle, it's a person. So you don't need a religion. You don't need rules and regulations and rituals. You need a personal relationship with God's son, Jesus Christ. That's what you're in need of. That's what I'm in need of. And that's why Paul said this in his prayer for the Ephesians. He said, I, I pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Do you need a power in your life that extends beyond whatever power you have? He's saying there's a power available through the resurrection of Jesus that's available to you to live with a power every single day. See, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. And if God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead body, then he can raise a dead career. If he can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead relationship. He can do anything because there's a whole new day and a whole new normal with the power of God operating in your life. So Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. In other words, he's saying that even if it means I've got to suffer and I've got to go through hard things and I've got to experience loss and go through days of confusion and doubt, that if it leads me to knowing Jesus, then I'm willing to do that. I want that because nothing means more to me than knowing Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning too. That you're here for a reason. You didn't just show up. It's not a mistake. That God wanted to say these things. Say, I love you. I see you. I know your pain. And I'm inviting you into my presence to receive the help that you need. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's saying, if you'll pray it, confess it with your mouth. 
and declare it in your heart that Jesus is Lord. He's not just someone else's Lord. He's my Lord. He's going to be the leader of my life. He's going to call the shots. He's going to be the center. God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. So I want to pray for us just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. That God sees you. He knows what you're going through. He understands pain like nobody else. He's the one who walks us through and gives us promises in the time and the days of our doubt and our confusion. And so I want to pray for you and just invite you to pray in your own heart along with me. Dear God, you know every pain that I've gone through. You know the confusion and the doubts that I have in my life right now. God, I, I know that I've spent a lot of my days just in that pain and in that doubt. And today, Lord, I want to come out of that and experience resurrected life. I want to experience that joy and that new life that Mike's talking about. So, Jesus, I'm asking right now that you come into my life. You're my Abba Father, my Papa. And I don't want my will any longer. I want your will. And I ask that you forgive me all of my sin. And I don't understand it all, but I do understand you're doing something right now in me, God. And so I humbly ask Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord and leader. I want to live relying on your power from this day forward. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Just in this quiet moment, if that was your prayer, and you prayed that along with me, would you just lift your hand to God and just say, yes, Mike, I prayed that prayer along with you, and I'm inviting him in right now. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, you see our hearts and you see our hands and you know, God, what you're doing in each heart. And I pray, God, would you just reveal your love and your power to each one. Lord, teach us to lean into friends and teach us to lean in to your mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, thank you for Easter. Thank you that you rose from the dead. And you give us new wonder, new hope, new purpose, and new joy in this life. And we want to leave here knowing that, celebrating that. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If today you opened up your heart to Jesus Christ and you prayed that prayer and you invited him in, I want, to, I want to encourage you, pick up a Bible if you don't already own one, one that you can read in a modern translation. These are free. They're just out at the welcome uh, counter out there. Make sure and pick, pick one up and take it with you. It's our gift to you. And, uh, and we want to invite you to come back. Come. Our normal services are 9 and 11 o'clock uh, on Sunday, and uh, we want you to be a part of that. Let's stand up together.